Welcome back. Uh, More evidence on China and the tentacles they have into Canada. And every day it seems to become more curious and in some ways more alarming. A Chinese tech giant has filed more patents in Canada last year than any other company. And there we have it again. Is Canada securing our intellectual property against China? There are so many curious things that are happening with China and Canada, and this is raising a lot of alarm bells. Joining us is Charles Burton, Senior Fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad, and a former counselor at the Canadian Embassy in Beijing. Charles Burton, how are you? Thank you for joining Good us. Good to speak with you, Arlene. You know, when we look at these patents, again, this is just one more example where there are so many question marks. You know, there's been a lot of heat on this government when it comes to our relationship with China. Um, you and I have spoken so often about the two Michaels and the strategy to try to get them back and how maybe getting tough on China. Well, for many people, they throw their hands up in the air now as we see that we've been granting patents willy-nilly to China. What do you make of it? Well, I think it does fit in with the Chinese government's overall plan. The 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party occurred on July the 1st, and the Chinese strongman leader, uh, Party General Secretary Xi Jinping, reiterated the idea that China wants to build what he refers to as a new type of international relations and a human community with a common future. And he talked about the Belt and Road Initiative and how China's new developments in, in uh, achievements and development will provide the world with new opportunities. And I think that what we're really talking about is the Chinese Communist Party's desire to dominate global politics and the international economy through the Belt and Road, and getting hold of patents and locking down China's control over key technologies in that way is part and parcel of this. You know, it it means that China can establish standards and technology that will dominate um, global future technological developments in the digital area, which is, you know, such a big part of our future, and can subordinate other powers to, to Chinese ownership over this. In the meantime, as we know, Canada is handing over our technology to China willy-nilly. And, you know, the the government of Alberta has put a freeze on all of their university exchanges with China for 90 days, pending an investigation on exactly that. You know, if they've had the strategy uh, to move in with science and technology, and we know this, I mean, this is um, their raison d'etre at this moment, as you've just outlined. But what I think is surprising is that Canada is not securing things. I mean, how many of these patents were there? 281 individual patents of intellectual property in 2019 and and 20. Now, granted, we're learning and the pressure on the government has come on in, in the last year. But Charles, has the damage already been done? Have the floodgates been opened? There's so many curious things about the scientists who were fired and have fled the country, and now we're all not supposed to know about it because of national security reasons. It it gives one a feeling of unease. Well, I think that, you know, our system is allowing China's coordinated party-state military-civilian um, complex to, to take advantage. And, 
No, you, when you refer to the uh, to the biolab in in Winnipeg, I mean that is exactly what we're talking about: is the transfer of technologies developed in Winnipeg and patented inside China. You know, we found out that the two scientists, um, uh, Zhou, Zhou Xiangguo and Chen Kengding, uh, had been patenting um, technologies that they developed in Canada, which. You know, according to their employment contract, if they develop something while employed by the government of Canada, the rights should accrue to the people of Canada. So, you know, you see a lot of that kind of thing going on. And I think a lot of the university exchanges where Canadian scientists, you know, have a mission to further knowledge and propagate it, are finding that the Chinese state is only too happy to fund their research if all the rights accrue to China. And our government doesn't seem to have a strong enough Science and Technology Commission at the federal level to ensure that Canadian intellectual property produced by Canadians using mm -hmm. public funds for the research should lead to um, development benefits and manufacture and rights for Canada and not for a foreign power that gets them on the cheap. Mm -hmm. And the other country that is, has a lot of patents in Canada is the United States of America. As you say, this should be a push uh, to make sure that that happens for Canadians so that Canadians can benefit from it. You know, it, you know pulling it out into context, there is a, a sense that, hey, China has become an invasive species here in Canada. And you know what that's like. I mean, you can cut off the buds and cut it off at the ground, but those roots are there. Are there roots that are worrisome here in Canada? Well, I think that, you know, we have been giving away our technology um, cheaply to foreign powers, and certainly the dominance of U.S. multinationals in research and development has, you know, been a strong issue for a long time, and there's been a lot of desire on the part of Canada for us to be less dependent on our American cousins. But, you know, the, the bottom line is that the United States is the best friend and ally that we have, and China is potentially a hostile power with, with schemes to try and subordinate our Canadian security and sovereignty to an autocratic, non-democratic um, expansionist regime. So, you know, do we want to facilitate that by allowing Canadian intellectual property and proprietary manufacturing processes and so on to be transferred to a, a regime that may in fact turn out to, 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 to be wanting to act against the interests of, of our sovereignty and prosperity. You know, it doesn't make any sense. We should be, our government should be taking this much more seriously and, and plugging the leaks in our, in our technology transfer system. You know, we looked at the last budget, and there was not a lot of strategy there. As If we can criticize China and want to make sure that we keep it for ourselves, but they do have a strategy. Is that the biggest thing that's missing here, an overall a plan and strategy to get Canadians behind these new patents and encourage? You know, we hear a lot of words on campaign trails. We may hear some soon. But when we look at these numbers, they're not playing out. No, I mean, I think when you have a regime like China, where the leader has declared himself leader for life, he removed the constitutional uh, limits on, on term length for the president of China, um, they plan in the long term. You know, they're looking 20 years ahead, mm. 30 years ahead. And in his uh, speech, he talked about um, uh, the second centenary, which is the centenary of the founding of the state in 2050, 
whereas our governments don't seem to look much beyond um, winning the next election. And so when it comes to this kind of stuff where you have to take measures that won't see uh, results in the short term, uh, we're more we're more inclined to look to these uh, these things that will win votes by immediate economic benefit. And you know that's the it's hard for us to 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 compete against a, a coordinated uh, regime that yeah. has strategy and and unfortunately that strategy is hostile to Canada's overall development and interests. Yeah, and it is coordinated. You know, I, I want to ask you. There's a, a sense that very soon we could be heading on the campaign trail, and very quickly uh, will China. There's been so much pressure on this government about China and the things that we've discussed. Do you think it's going to be a campaign issue? Well, I, I think that certainly it should be a campaign issue. It's uh, the number one um, foreign policy issue for the Conservative Party is to try and get a grip on China's influence activities in Canada and 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 do better with regard to challenging Chinese espionage and uh, interference activities in our country, which is you know pretty bad. Um, I think there's going to be pressure from the Americans for us to decide who we're going to support. Are we going to continue to have an appeasing policy towards China, hoping that this will win us more uh, market share in China's burgeoning market? Or will we line up with the United States and India, Japan, and Australia and uh, get into a concerted effort to try and and give the Chinese regime an incentive to come into compliance with the norms of international diplomacy and trade? And, of course, you know, number one in that would be getting the release of Michael Kovrick and Michael's favor. And we come uh, back who, to, yeah. Oh, shouldn't or we're now into 930 days? I mean, you know, how much longer do we have to wait till we get it together on that one? Yeah, and we come back to that. Charles Burton, senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad, and a former counselor at the Canadian Embassy in Beijing. Charles Burton, thank you. Lovely to talk again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Short break and on point returns. This is Global News Radio.